Let us pray. Open our hearts, Heavenly Father, to receive your love. Open our minds to understand. And open our eyes to see your glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, that was a long reading. Well, <laughs> I'm sure you're wondering, do we even need a sermon now? Maybe a good job. That's a, that was a long one. You know the story of the preacher's daughter. Five, uh, the preacher had a five-year-old daughter, and she had noticed that whenever he got up to preach, uh, that he stopped and said a prayer. And she asked him, uh, Dad, why do you do that? And so he was very pleased that she was attentive. She noticed that. And so she said, he said, that, well, honey, when I get up to pray, I, to preach, I stop and I pray that God will help me preach a good sermon. And the daughter says, why doesn't he ever answer it, Father? <laughs> do you know the four great religious truths? Muslims do not recognize Jews as God's chosen people. Jews do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Protestants do not recognize the Pope as the leader of the Christian world. And Baptists do not recognize each other at the liquor store. <laughs> Today's passage confronts us with the questions, how do we see and how do we know? What do we know? What difference does it make? Gospel reading today is about Jesus encountering a man blind from birth, and he heals him. It's interesting to note that most of Jesus' healing ministries had been, already been done in the Old Testament. There had been precedent for people being healed of leprosy and lameness and all that kind of thing. But not for blindness. There was no evidence of anyone uh, healing someone of blindness in the Old Testament. And even in our gospel passage of verse 32, the blind man says, never before in the world has it been heard that someone heals, healed someone who is blind. But it was referred to in the Old Testament, and it was a sign of the Messianic age. When the Messiah comes, he will, bring, help, he will heal people who are blind and enable them to see. That was something the Messiah would perform. And it's interesting that when Jesus does the healing, he spits on the ground, makes mud, and the Greek word is he anoints his eyes and tells him to go and wash, and he does, and he's healed. It's interesting, too, that forming the forming of the mud certainly calls to mind Genesis chapter 2 in the creation of the world, God taking the mud of the earth to form mankind and blow into his nostrils like a new creation. Uh, the um, Old Testament reading today from Samuel is about anointing. So Samuel's living up north in Israel, uh, the great prophet Samuel, who, who has anointed Saul as king, but things are kind of imploding. And God shows up to Samuel one day and says, I want you to go to Bethlehem, to Jesse, and anoint one of his kings as son. And what does Samuel do? Whoa, what are you asking me to do? Because it is an act of revolution and rebellion. There is already a king. How do you think King Saul is going to feel when he hears that Samuel is about to anoint someone else as king? And not only that, but because Samuel lives up in the north and Jesse's in the south, Samuel's going to have to walk right through Saul's backyard. He says, no way, I can't do that. So God gives him a way to, to make it and go there, and he does then anoint one of David's sons. Not the one he thought he would. I know that we've all been thinking about the attack in the United Kingdom on Westminster Palace. Uh, our family was there this summer, right at that spot where it happened, right on that corner. So it was very kind of real, 
to us, and I've talked to some people who were there last week. It made it more real that one of them was an American tourist. One of the people was a teacher, a school teacher. Some were students who were injured. And it's just one of those horrible things that we become, it's almost a new normal. And we resist and re react and rebel against that. How can we make a difference? How can we get through this? I did notice on the TV coverage, uh, because we had been there um, and noticed, uh, recognized some of the things, uh, they panned in one of the uh, courtyards, there's a statue by Auguste Rodin, one of his best known pieces, called The Burgers of Calais. And this was a statue Rodin was commissioned to do based on an event in the 14th century, the 1346 or something, where the British besieged Calais and the French king said, there is no way you can give in, you must hold out. And it was such a standoff that famine set in and the uh, citizens of Calais had to sue for peace to King Edward. So they, they sued for peace and the terms were that Calais would send six citizens out to the English ships with nooses already around their neck and the keys to the city in their hand. One of the first people to volunteer was one of the wealthiest citizens of Calais, someone named Eustace Saint-Pierre. Five others joined him and they went out, willing to pay the price for the rest of the citizens. When they got there, the, king's, uh, the English king's queen, Queen Philippa of England, uh, said, uh, pleaded for mercy and so they weren't executed. And Queen's College in Oxford is named after this queen. Later when they came to do the statue, to commission the statue and Rodin had finished, there was quite an outcry in France because the statue didn't portray the heroism and the victory and the mythology and it wasn't up high on a plinth. It was simply six people who'd been willing to sacrifice themselves for others. Rodin said he wanted the sculpture down low, almost where people would unknowingly bump into it to see that kind of self-sacrifice. And it's a great story of sacrifice bumping into mercy. And so uh, we think about how do we position ourselves in the present world to fight against the evil and the hatred and the violence that we seem to be encountering. So Jesse arrives in Bethlehem and Jesse brings his nice tall old son before him and it says that uh, Jess, uh, Samuel says, surely this is the Lord's anointed standing before me. He sees him as this big, strong, intelligent leader. And the Lord says, not him. And all six of the boys come through. And the, God says to Samuel, do not look on the appearance or the height of his stature because I have not chosen him. The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. How do we see? How can we come to see things as God sees them? How do we begin to understand, to know, to believe? Let's look at the gospel reading, if you would. Just We won't look at the whole thing, I promise. Look at verse 24. Take out your bulletins, if you would. Look at verse 24 of the gospel reading. I want you to notice all the times they use the word know. I know this, I know this. It begins by the Pharisees saying, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, the bi-man answered, I do not know whether he was a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
The blind man was very comfortable with his own ignorance, with his own not knowing. I don't know who it was. I don't know how it worked. I don't know how he did it. All I know is he told me, he put mud on my eyes, told me to wash, I washed and now I see. And I think for us as Christians that there's so much we don't know. Uh, N.T. Wright is in town and he uh, has written a book called The Day the Revolution Began, posing the question, what actually happened on the cross? So it's about 500 pages and I still don't understand it. But I don't need to completely, some do. But what I do need to know is that I'm forgiven, that I'm back in a proper relationship with God through his death, and I know he has a job for me to do, and that I need to do it. And he keeps going on down in verse 28 and 29. The Pharisees say, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And then we get the the blind man has this great comeback. You know, you always want this great comeback. Well, isn't that interesting? You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. So this uneducated blind man who gains his sight is able to point out that the teachers of the law are missing the point. And at the end of the passage, of course, Jesus says, if you were, if you could see, then you would be, if you couldn't see, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. So the man is very, what does the man know and what does he not know? There's so much he doesn't know, but he does know that he can see. And that's what I think we want for ourselves, to be able to see more clearly. It's interesting in, verse, uh, in verses 35 down, when he's been cast out, Jesus comes and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The answer is, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe. He's hoping his sight will lead to belief. And Jesus says, here's this great line, you have seen him. This great sense of, you can see him because I healed you. You're looking at him. And while we can't look at the risen Lord Jesus, can we actually see him in one another? See him in the Eucharist? See him in the problems of the world? Will he open our eyes so that we can see the pain and suffering in this world? Injustice, things where we can make a difference, ways that we can build a bridge. This, this uh, yesterday, I, t- uh, Friday, I had coffee with a Muslim imam, the leader of one of our mosques in town. And it was a wonderful thing just to talk with him and to meet him, to know his name. When I talked on the phone to set up coffee, I said, I have no agenda. I would just like to extend a hand of friendship. He actually knows the local rabbi. And we're hoping to have lunch together in the school. Not so that we can make a presentation or draw out our theology, but to begin by the children of our school seeing that you can have lunch together. You can treat one another with respect and dignity. The theme for Wednesday's session is on abandonment. Jesus looking to all intents and purposes like God had abandoned him as a misguided rabble-rouser crushed by the power of the Roman world. But of course, we believe something else to be true, that in that death on the cross was victory. And when we feel abandoned, can you see God in the midst? Can we know that he is there for us? Can we know that he will keep us? 
Uh, I love, I'll end with the story of the young executive. Who, his name was John. He wanted to move up in the world. He had a young family. He was very keen to uh, provide for his family. He was doing everything he could. And there was a number of other executives on his level. And one day the boss said, I want to appoint a new vice president. And I'm going to choose one of you. Uh, and, when, uh, and I have a test for you. So I'm going to give you a pot with some dirt and a seed. And I want, in six weeks, I want you to come back and show me what you've been able to do with this pot. Well, he took it home. He tried his best. He planted it. He watered it. He read up on it. He consulted with horticulturalists. And it was doing nothing. When he would go to work in the coming weeks, the, his colleagues would talk about how well their plants were doing, how they were green and growing. And he, his was still nothing, right up until before going in. He talked to his wife about, you know, why is this happening to us? We're trying so hard. They talked about whether they should go up, buy another plant and pretend that they had grown it. Well, the day came and all his colleagues came in with these beautiful lush plants and put them on the boss's desk. And John didn't know what to do. Should he just leave? Should he walk out? But he just took his courage in his hand. He took the empty pot and placed it on his um, boss's desk. And the boss said, John, what are you doing? What is that? And John said, I did everything I could. I watered it. I took care of it. Nothing happened. And the boss looked disconcerted. Finally, he said, John, you have got the job. Every one of those seeds that I gave to people was microwaved, and there was no life in any of those seeds. There's no possible way. And although John had felt abandoned and a complete failure, the boss saw in him the honesty and the courage and the wherewithal to come and to put it there. The psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, for you are with me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.